Hey everybody, Gressel here with a few quick announcements before we get into this week's villain paralogue. I hope you guys are enjoying these and how they fill in the world outside of the team. We'll be back to regular episodes next week as we approach what's kind of a mid-season finale. Uh, We haven't really done one of these before in this way, uh, but the way that this season has kind of shaken out, um, the team has a big choice ahead of them, uh, and I'm excited to see where things go. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on social media at dndndpod on Twitter and dndndpod on Instagram, or email us at dndndpod at gmail.com. Thanks to all of our patrons, everyone who supports us over at patreon.com slash dndndpod. Uh, We're going to have some new recipe cards out to patrons here pretty soon, and then in a couple months, the next t-shirt will be revealed. Uh, Beth and I have already talked about uh, what that one's going to be, a couple ideas batted around, and and we're really excited. Uh, Speaking of Beth's amazing art, she has revealed the new Season 3 logo uh, over on Twitter, and that one will be available soon in her shop when that gets going again, bethbrad.shop. The design is incredible. It features a bunch of really great little inside references to season three. Uh, So, so happy with how it's turning out. Uh, Every time she reveals one of these logos, it just fills me with so much joy. Uh, I have them hanging in my home, and I hope that you will too uh, once her shop is open again. Excited to announce that I have recorded the first uh, Comfort Foods episode in my side series that will be released alongside regular episodes coming up soon uh, with the Swish and Flick podcast, a very Potter podcast. Uh, The gals over there were great. We had a great time talking about their comfort foods, uh, both their actual foods and uh, their pop culture comfort foods, which were Harry Potter and Disney. Uh, And it was just a really great chat, and I'm excited to get that out and share it with you folks uh, sometime soon. Uh, And we have some other great ones lined up, some other really exciting guests uh, for interviews all about uh, food and art and how the things are connected, the things that inspire this show that I want to try to explore uh, how they inspire other people. So uh, I hope that you guys will enjoy that one when we release it as well. And check out Swish and Flick. All right, that's enough preamble. Enjoy the next chapter in the Villain Paralogues. Thanks, everybody. Do what's fun. made some progress, Vance spoke into the open mouth of the enchanted, bejeweled skull. We're hot on the trail, I think. We've just got to get, well, we've got a long way to go here. The thief leaned back against the rail on the port side of the longship Ryleth had commandeered back in Girthage, a self-satisfied look on his face as he relayed good news to his boss. His smile didn't last long. Are you in Night's Pass? A hurried, frantic, crusty old voice responded from the mouth of the skull. In the background, Ryleth heard screams and snarls. He heard buzzing? What did those knucklehead adventurers get into now? He would certainly need to pivot his strategy if they were removed from the board at this point. He could dump the thieves overboard and find a transport in the canals to Plasnomzerid, and from there get back to Mediocria and hopefully catch Avalor before he concluded his business there. It'd be disappointing, though, not to see where this goes. Undoubtedly, Avalor would be disappointed as well to leave a stone unturned. There's something these adventurers are after, something personal and somehow connected to their larger mission. 
something that has these lowly thieves from a mid-sized city in a petty kingdom sailing to the magnificent Plasnum Canals and the Great Bay of Safrendu beyond. Fortunately, the full moon will shine on them as they pass the spires of Cor Brannan. Vance straightened and started to pace around the deck, holding the skull closer to his face as if to whisper into it. As if one could control the volume on a talking skull. What? Um, no, uh, do you have any way to communicate with the rest of the guild? Yeah, I could probably call their skull. What's going on? Is something... Can I get their number? Yeah, it's three eyes. As Vance finished his call, Ryloth looked to the other thieves for any indication of the normalcy of this behavior. Milo was at the helm, holding the course of their small longship southwest, skittering along the much calmer inner bays of the Giras Sea. He casually let a long, thin arm dangle over the side of the hull, catching the surf in a lazy hand, spray splashing up into his clean, olive-toned face. It's possible the adventurers were in some kind of treasure hunt, and Marjorie was alerting her guild to the score. They never did seem like the type of party particularly interested in treasure, though, or they would have pursued a more profitable line of adventuring than working for the Earthadars as personal investigators. The abrupt way Milo stiffened and put both hands on the till confirmed these suspicions. Toward the bow, Joe, the dark and lithe junior of their trio, dropped the rigging she was tying, ducked under the boom, and holding out her hand to Vance, started to speak. Vance, the skull to his face, brushed her off as a scream came through the skull. The older man turned his back to the rest of the crew and tried to keep his voice down. He knows we're after something important, but it was his boat, you see. Ryleth listened as Vance relayed his story to Marjorie. The man who had answered the skull in the first place was Robin Smythe, freelance thief who owned a boat that would take them to the Sofran Islands. All of that was well and good, so far going as Ryleth predicted, but the sounds in the background were unusual. I hope everything's okay. It's not. Bye. The magical light shining from the jewels in the skull faded as the connection severed. Everything all right with your boss? Ryleth asked, knowing the answer. You know, it's the strangest thing. It's the day of the Harvest Festival in Night's Pass. You ever been to the city on a festival day, Robin? I've never been so lucky, no. When I was a boy, the festival days were always special. My father was in the guild, too, and back in those days, the city watch and the guild weren't the friendly rivals they are today. There was real antagonism between the two, the kind that ended with a body count. This was before Lady Cytheria reigned in the time of her mother, Ashland. The valley was a harsher place then for the little folks. But it didn't matter come the Harvest Festival, and the best part was the truce between the Watch and the Thieves. Me and the old man would spend the day together at the Scale Scraper, living it up with his brothers and sisters at the biggest celebration you can imagine. The small man's face lit up like the jeweled skull he held, beaming with hometown pride. Well, maybe not for someone as traveled as you, but for a kid from the docks, it was the best time of year. Jason, our old leader, didn't believe in honoring that truce. But now that Marjorie is in charge, not only is the festival back, but the day of rest is too. His face fell, snapped from the reverie by the thoughts of the sounds he had just heard behind Marjorie's voice. Not sure what's going on, but it sounded pretty bad. The thieves shared a look of resigned powerlessness. Great job, Vance. Not only are we missing the festival, but now there's some kind of danger, and we're off on this random-ass mission to find something our lawful chosen leader assigned us to find, Joe. Don't forget that. Do you remember what things were like under Jason? You want to go back to that kind of culture? All of us were stuck behind desks while his bootlicking buddies were out doing real crimes. He was a danger to us all. I tell you, I'd like to shake the hand of whoever took him out. Ryleth choked on a chuckle and hid it as a cough. The others didn't notice. 
It's true, Joe. You were young and don't know much of a different world, but Bryson was even worse. Marjorie saved what this guild was supposed to be. We owe her. The way I see it, we don't owe her spit. She's barely around, gives orders through Skull. You're more of a leader than she is, Vance. And what, just because she's this hero and broke into the castle or whatever, we're supposed to follow her whims? What's she going to tell the folks back home to do? Break the truce and do another personal errand for her? Is every member of our guild going to go on some freezing, creaky boat in some creepy, foggy sea? Calm down, Joe. Joe punched the mast, now getting upset. Ryla suspected this was the longest she'd been, not only at sea, but away from home. Your first adventure always messes with your head, when it starts to veer away from the songs that inspired you to set out on that path in the first place. And what's up with her ties to the Earthadars and the Order? Who's she really looking out for, huh? I don't want to die here on the other side of the world doing some secret mission for royalty, Vance. That's not what I'm about. It's not like that. That's not what she's about either. She's like us. You don't know that. You don't know anything about her. She's just another adventurer. She's not. There's something about her I trust. And is there something about him you trust too? Who even is he? Ryleth tensed. This is getting heated. Just calm down. Vance stepped toward Joe, who pushed him back against the railing. He had to steady himself by grabbing hold of some rigging. Tell me to calm down one more time. Hands flew to scabbards and feet squared. Milo positioned himself between Vance and Joe, but she put a shoulder into him, knocked him off balance just as some surf jostled the boat. He fell to the deck and swept her legs, sending her backwards to smack her head against the mast. Vance jumped between them, trying to play referee without getting his kidney stabbed. A dagger flashed, but was knocked from a hand with an oar. Punches were thrown and ribs were kicked. Ryleth could have charmed them all to stop this in an instant, but that would reveal too much about his abilities. He was supposed to be a simple thief. A well-traveled and experienced thief, but nonetheless considerably more mundane than his true vocation. Secret assassin and spy for the most powerful organization in the world. He decided to resort to simpler methods. The splash of seawater gave all of them such a shock they instantly forgot their fight. Joe advanced half over to the side of the rail while Milo was tangled up in spare rope on the deck, his dagger mercifully just out of reach. Friends, Ryleth called out, the bucket still in hand. Stop this madness. The sea is a hard place, and I will need your help to navigate the spires of Corbrannan. If we are to perish on this vessel, let it be by giving our best to traverse those infamous crags. Not in a bitter argument amongst ourselves. The moon is rising, and we'll need to sail through the night with her guidance to make it to the safer waters by morning. They took a synchronized breath, releasing the tension and unclenching their fists. Robin's right. We're all just sad to miss the festival, and if there's something going down back home, we just want to be able to help our comrades. If we can't be there to aid them in person, we're just going to have to carry on with the mission we have and trust it's all for a reason. Vance helped Milo up as he spoke and handed Joe back her dagger. I know not what it is you seek, but it is the calling of our kind to pilfer this world's riches. I may work for myself, but for a guild like yours, you serve a cause and are honor-bound to see it through. Joe, you trust Vance, right? She sighed, squeezed some seawater from her clothes, and with a hint of resignation said, I do. Then trust in his trust. I can't speak for your leader, but look into my eyes and tell me if you judge me to have an ulterior motive beyond a portion of the wealth at the end of this quest. He calmed his breathing, slowing his heart rate, and adopted an expression of kindness and compassion, making an educated guess as to what Joe wanted to see. You're right. I'm sorry, Vance. Milo. I guess I'm just homesick. I wanted to see the world beyond the valley, but I didn't expect it to be so... big. 
Great seas, scary rocks, murderous pirate captains. I guess if Marjorie got to her age living through all of this, then she has earned my respect, at least. That's the spirit. Now we'll need to trust each other to get through this stretch of sea. Milo returned to the tiller. We'll need that famous river folk steadfastness as we approach the spires. Steer as I instruct. When I say so, where I say so. Fear not for how close we get to the rocks. The full moon will light the way and keep us safe. Vance and Joe, you'll need to work the sail. You can argue all you want once we reach the canals. As the moon rose in the sky, the crew set to work readying their craft for the passage through the spires. Ryleth worried about this stretch of journey since they left Girthage, but was glad of the timing. A full moon will keep the danger at bay. Robin, why do we have to do this? Can't we sail around these rocks? Joe was recoiling the rope she abandoned when the skull call came through. We could indeed. We could follow the coast, keeping the largest and most dangerous of the spires to our south. But we would expose ourselves to pirate watchers. If one of the outposts didn't spot us and sink us with long-range spells, a patrol would warn one of our presence. And we'd be surrounded by the time we rounded the western gulf. Or we could sail out in the open sea and our small, undercrewed vessel would be tossed upon the waves as we took our chances with pirates, storms, and sea beasts. We could lower our sails and drift until morning, hoping the day's light would burn brighter than the night's and make our path clearer, but the spires wouldn't allow that. What do you mean? What makes this place so dangerous? Yours is a young kingdom, and its history short. The rest of the world is much, much older. Many years ago, this whole region was under the thumb of the Talon Empire. Talon, you're joking. It may seem like a joke now, but there was a time when Hawks Ridge ruled the world's belt from east to west. Even the Moonshadow Valley was part of their territory. I know that one, piped up Milo. Ulfric Erthadar fought them off and founded Knight's Pass. He did indeed. But long before that, it was Empire lands from sunup to sundown. The Garrus Gulf was no different. The Emperor at the time was greedy and his eyes were fixed on the Boonard Rath Confederacy to the south. Tighter to starboard, Milo. Ryleth looked up at the sky as the full moon, her pockmarked face staring down in glowing malevolence, reached high enough to outshine the last vestiges of twilight. From a satchel tied to his belt, he pulled a sextant made of pure silver. Boonard Rath still rules that continent, responded Milo as he adjusted course. I have gnomish cousins there on my father's side. Right you are, friend. The peoples of the three lands fiercely defended their home from invasion, and their prowess at sea embarrassed the land-based military of Talon, even at the height of their power. The emperor decreed that any noble who could raise a navy capable of thwarting his rival armada would be given governorship over the whole southern continent. A minor lord who ruled a jagged, insignificant cape, little more than a lighthouse, keep, and a collection of modest olive farms, endeavored to advance his family's stake by any means necessary. Tired of scraping by as an afterthought in the imperial diet, this noble, Julian Brennan, followed to be the one to deliver the South to the Empire. He spent all of his family's wealth to bring an explorer from the West to his tiny peninsula, an explorer from the Ombra coast. No better navigators, boat builders, or trackers existed in this world. Joe scoffed. So they say. That sounds like some company propaganda. We all know the Ombre Coast means just one thing, and that's the OCTC. It's true the company looms large today, but it would still be hundreds of years before the Court of Shield would fly over Ombre Scala. There is a reason, though, the company rose from that shore, and its roots are in exploration. 
The explorer made the long journey to this very cape, where he gifted Lord Brannon with a device much like this one. Ryleth held up the sextant for the thieves to see, and looked through the eyepiece to check their course. Now to port, Milo. Vance, tighten up your sail. If this explorer was so great, what happened to the noble? The explorer told Brannon of a great power that could be discovered on his lands, if only he knew where to look. He could show Brennan how to use this device to find this power, though it would come at a cost. Brennan, unconcerned about the warning, wrote to the Emperor, saying, Bring your navy to my cape. I have obtained the knowledge you seek to defeat the Southerners. And with that, he took the instructions from the explorer and set out at first light with a small retinue and his court mage. The device led to a small cave along the coast of the cape. The party ventured inside and discovered a narrow set of winding underground rivers. The only light came from tiny holes in the rock, casting terrifying shadows across the walls of the cave. The warriors begged Brennan to turn back, claiming ill omens, but he pressed on, calling on the mage to cast out the shadows. He held up the device just like this, and Ryleth once again checked his course through the sextant, searching for the nascent path illuminating under the rising moonlight, and tracked the source the explorer told him about. For the port, Milo, let's not let it drift. They journeyed through the underground for days, following the instructions laid out by the Ombre Coast Explorer, until they finally reached a wide, open cavern. As the party explored the massive space, they started to notice strange plant life, or rather, dead branches of plant life, growing over the cavern floor. Before long, they found themselves in a forest of dead, gnarled trees. At the center of this necroforest, they found one twisted trunk that stood larger than all the rest and upon this tree was a thin crack. From the crack shone a bright violet light unlike any the party had ever seen. The court mage was baffled by it, and failed to explain to Brennan exactly what it was. Yet it was doubtless that this was what the explorer's device was leading them to. Brennan called on the mage to widen the crack, and see what was within the husk of the tree. Brennan's men begged him not to do this, fearing the magic that they did not understand but Brennan, consumed by his goal of winning the South for the Emperor, ignored them. He gazed into the opening, and with the device the explorer gave him, just like this, and Ryleth again checked their course, motioning for Milo to steer to better match it. But his human mind was not ready for what happened to it, for Brennan was gazing into the Shadow Realm, a world beyond this one where evil things are bred in darkness. Brennan, his eyes fixed to the device given him by the explorer, whose warning he ignored, was consumed by nefarious energies from this realm, and through him a terrible force was unleashed. The court mage and all the soldiers in the party were destroyed in that cavern, and when Brennan emerged he was not as before. The shadows had changed him into a monster. He enslaved his people, forcing them to work to expand the cavern and open it to the wider world. Many died digging for this malignant energy, until finally... On the day the Emperor's fleet arrived, the large chasm to the dead forest was completed. As the Talon fleet sailed to the Cape, Brennan gazed at them through the device, and a deep rumble came from below. The violet light emanating from the ancient tree grew and encompassed the entirety of the cavern, opening up the earth as it traveled. A horrible earthquake followed, and massive tidal waves spread up the Cape toward the fleet, engulfing them. The spirits of the dead workers returned as cursed shades riding on the crests of the waves, slaying the sailors who survived the initial wrecks, before turning back on Brennan and his family. As the earth opened, swallowing the cape and sending it to the depths of the sea, 
Brennan was torn to pieces by his former subjects. The legends say that these crags rose from the individual pieces of his corpse that serve as a warning, a warning that Brennan didn't heed. This place is a veil, a weak spot between this world and another, and the evil which Brennan unleashed upon his land still haunts it to this day, consuming ships that venture too close to the crags. That is why this place is called Core Brennan, the Curse of Brennan. Hard to starboard, Milo, and full sail, we need to slip between these rocks. The crew executed the commands in silence as Ryleth checked the course on the sextant. The Empire's fleet was destroyed, and any hope of invasion of the southern continent was dashed. Some say this event began the fall of the Empire. Robin, if this is a cursed cape full of evil ghosts, what the hell are we doing here at night? Joe asked, not without merit. Ryleth chuckled. Do you believe in ghost stories, Joe? Even if there is truth to these legends, the moon will protect us. Shadows hate moonlight, and as long as we sail under this full moon, the only thing we need to worry about are the rocks. As Rylas started to bring the sextant up to his eye again, the silver shine on the device suddenly went dull. The pale light that was guiding their path blinked out. Hard to starboard! Drop the sail! To oars! He shouted, twisting his neck toward the heavens. What the... The moon, it's... gone? Good thing that was just a legend, right, Robin? Ryleth was already moving. To oars, damn it! We need to get out of here fast. Make for the coast and take our chances with the locals. Put down your swords, that garbage steel will be no use if... His orders were cut off by a piercing shriek and a splash. Then another. No! Pull as one, you're gonna send us in circles. Vance, count out the strokes, and all of you keep your eyes closed. Don't look at whatever comes to attack us. He grabbed a rope and swung around the mast landing on the rail of the portside hull just as a long, cloaked figure erupted from the water. With a shriek, it slashed at Ryleth with a bony, spectral hand cutting through the standard clothing he had disguised himself in. He responded with a decisive downward cut with his blade, the runes cut into the steel glowing red as it made contact with the race, severing its arm. The creature yelled and fell back into the sea. From behind, he heard first the splintering of wood and then a human scream. He turned and slashed at the wraith trying to pull Milo overboard, its claws tearing into the thief's shoulders. He whirled with momentum, not pausing to see if it let go, and brought a blow down in the shadow tearing the hull just as it removed a chunk of wood. Seawater rushed into the deck, immediately surrounding Ryleth's ankles and rapidly gaining on his knees. Another wraith sprouted from the depths and grabbed Ryleth about the shoulders, its claws digging into his skin. Ryleth headbutted the specter, muttering an incantation as he did that put some magic into his blow. It was enough to free his arms and get his sword around. There was no use staying committed to this disguise anymore. It was long past time for spells. A moonbeam should be enough to buy them the time they need. He wheeled around to face the nearest wraith and called out the words, but nothing happened. Why did nothing happen? Not the time for questions. Another slash. Another claw. Ah, and a pain in his calf. Robin! Which one of them screamed? He couldn't tell now. Cut, parry, wheel, turn, cut. Robin! Splintering wood in a huge crack. The hull again? They'd be underwater in seconds. No choice but to activate his failsafe. Turn the ring twice left and once right. The magic started to spread from his ring as he kept fighting off the wraiths. Water to his waist now. Another cut, another parry. Just by a little longer. Robin, watch out! He cut another wraith and turned to see what the shouting was about. It wasn't the hull that cracked. It was the mast. He never saw it coming.
D&D&D is a Spotify exclusive podcast written and edited by me, James Gressel. D&D&D is performed by Beth Radloff, Mike Saigan, James A. Janice, and Chelsea Rebecca.